0: Our reading today comes from Acts 11, verses 25 to 30, and chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world this happened during the reign of Claudius the disciples as each one was able decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea this they did sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers Barnabas Simeon called Niger Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord.
1: My name is Josiah. I'm our college minister here at the church, and I've been looking forward to sharing God's word with you this morning to encourage you. I really miss preaching in the summer when our students are home on break, so I really look forward to these opportunities. Let's pray together. God, would your spirit be among us this morning? Would you speak straight to our hearts with your words of truth, God, that we might be transformed? Uh, We thank you for the stories that we read in the book of Acts Your word is alive and active today, God, and so we pray that you would just encounter us here this morning, and we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. We're in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. We've followed the story of the church here, this spirit-filled community of Christ followers who are reflecting the resurrection power of Jesus through their unity, through their witness in this time of persecution, we see the miraculous power of God at work to make his name and glory known. That's where we've been, these first 12 chapters, and today marks this transition in the story that you've heard about. We're transitioning. The the story shifts to the the gospel being taken to the nations, the gospel to the nations, and you know the Apostle Paul is the central figure to the second half of the book of Acts. And you know Paul's story well. We've heard about him. His story comes at us really fast in the book of Acts. Earlier in the series, he's this man, a devout Jew. That's his background. He studied under Gamaliel, this highly esteemed rabbi. He was a leader in the Jewish community, a zealous Pharisee. He was eager to persecute those heretical Christians who were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. And so Paul is introduced in chapter 8. He's looking on with approval at the stoning of Stephen. But in chapter 9, just one page later, we see Paul miraculously converted on the road to Damascus. This infamous persecutor of the church, humbled. He's made blind that his heart might be opened to see the truth about who Jesus really was. So Paul's conversion, it shows us that God really is powerful To direct the path of any person's life. He's able to reach anyone with his salvation. There's not one person who's outside of his reach when God chooses to intervene with grace. Paul later expressed that in Romans chapter 9. Listen to his words. He's quoting God's words to Moses. He says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Salvation depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. What better illustration of that passage than Paul's own story? God's work in his life is absolutely miraculous. And Paul, he wasn't one to waste time. Right after his conversion we read in Acts chapter 9 verse 20, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God. He didn't waste any time. He's out there preaching the gospel right after his conversion in Damascus. And so from Paul's conversion on, preaching the gospel, witnessing to Christ was the driving force behind his life. Listen to Paul's mission statement. This comes out in Acts chapter 20 in his farewell address to the Ephesian elders when he's leaving them at the end of his third missionary journey. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul's purpose, his life, his focus were all about witnessing to the good news of Christ's death on the cross. His death on the cross to pay the penalty for man's sin and his resurrection from the grave, that those who look to him in faith might be united to God. That was Paul's mission, proclaiming the gospel. And you know, a lot of us have a mission statement or a a life verse. If you're shopping for one, what better option than this? If you've made the decision to trust Christ, Paul says, you've received this same great mission to testify to the good news. And that's a mission that can fully engage us for all of life with our entire being. But it's also really interesting to look at the way in which God had called Paul to a specific mission in his witness. Paul was the man that God appointed to take the good news to the Gentiles. We first heard that that mission would be Paul's. All the way back in chapter 9, you remember Ananias, this man who God instructed to go meet with Paul, who was staying on State Street. Not State Street, um, I I do know a State Street in my hometown. Straight Street was where Paul was saying, say that five times fast. He was to go there and tell him, God told Ananias to go to Saul. He will be the one who takes the good news to the Gentiles. That was Paul's mission. And so he would have known that this calling was his from very early on in his faith. He will be the one to take the good news to the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel. And I want to say to you that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, that is your mission as well. We are all to be witnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ. And thank God Paul was faithful to his mission. If you're here this morning and you're not from a Messianic Jewish background, you can thank God for his work through Paul's ministry for your coming to faith. We are all a byproduct of Paul's missionary journeys in one way or another as Gentile believers. And so Paul's story has always fascinated me. It's a great story. It's one of the classics of our faith, and I have always loved classic stories. I need to tell you, when I was a kid, I loved reading these classic books. Three of my favorites were The Count of Monte Cristo Treasure Island, and Swiss Family Robinson. I don't know why, but all those stories involve people fighting with swords. Um, and I spent a lot of time fighting my brothers with swords as a child. Um, my poor parents. But I, I need to make a confession to you this morning. When I say that I read that class, those classic works of literature, I'm very distinguished, um, that is an absolute lie because I read the 150-page version of 300-page stories that were written in 16-size font, and they also had an illustration on every other page. (laughs) The great illustrated classics. And so my brother, he was always a big reader. He was a voracious reader, and, you know, he's taking a week to work through his novels, and I'm like, dude, I just read The Three Musketeers in 45 minutes. (laughs) Catch up. There's a reason I make this confession to you. I want you to know that story that I just told you of Paul the persecutor to missionary hero in two pages, that's a true story. But that's also the great illustrated classic version. That's the great illustrated classic version of Paul's story. In real life, the span of time from Paul's conversion until he embarked on his first missionary journey was actually quite significant. A lot of events occurred in that time span. Commentators refer to this period of Paul's life as Paul's interim period or Paul's dark years. Have you heard of that? So what went on in Paul's life during this period of time? You may remember that right after his conversion, Paul immediately preaching, he stayed in Damascus and preached the good news there in the synagogues. But what happens next? We don't exactly know the chronology. This is Probably the most obscure part of Paul's story, but Galatians 1 tells us that after some time in Damascus, he journeyed into Arabia, into the desert. And so Paul in the desert of Arabia, where he exactly was and what he was doing at that time, we don't really know. I like to think that maybe he spent some time refining his skills as a tent maker, you know, the original tiny house movement. Paul was on this 2,000 years ago, guys get a tent. It's so much cheaper. Or a shed. But this surely would have been a time where God reshaped his view of scriptures in light of the truth about Christ. I like to imagine Paul sitting outside of his tent reading passages like Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished that we may be brought peace, and by his wounds we are healed. I imagine Paul sitting outside of his tent just thinking, Christ is the one. How did I miss that? How did I miss this? Thank God for his grace and getting a hold of me. So after two or so years in the desert of Arabia, Paul returned to Damascus, preaching there until being run off by some Jews who wanted to kill him for spreading the gospel. That'll become a pretty common theme in his story. Uh, This was about three years after his conversion when he left Damascus, and his next stop was Jerusalem. You may remember Paul arrived there seeking refuge with the church in Jerusalem, but the people remembered Paul the persecutor. So rightly, they were quite nervous about him. They remembered His actions, the last time they'd seen him, but thankfully Barnabas was willing to take him in. He heard his story of faith and he eventually introduced him to Peter and James, sharing the miraculous testimony of Saul's conversion. Imagine how Saul must have loved hearing those stories firsthand about Jesus from James, from Peter. Sadly, this would only be a quick stopover for him. Because after only 15 days in Jerusalem, some Greek Jews came after Paul after debating and conversing with them. They came after him to kill him, and Paul had to flee town. And the church leaders in Jerusalem, they sent him back to his home city of Tarsus by way of Caesarea. And this would be a much better option for Paul in terms of his safety than being in Jerusalem, but it had to hurt. You know Paul. He was a passionate and eager preacher. He would have wanted to be where the main action was going on, wouldn't he? He would have wanted to be in Jerusalem, which was the religious center of his world. But that wasn't to be home to Tarsus it was for Paul. And think about this. That must have been a really strange homecoming. People are used to other people leaving home religious and coming home irreligious. That happens fairly often, sadly. We also see from time to time people leave home irreligious and then they come home religious. But I think that Paul must be one of the first people in history to leave home religious and come home absolutely taken by the gospel. Righteousness is not by works, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What a powerful story Paul had to tell. He had a message to share. And Tarsus, it wasn't the center of the action, but Paul didn't just twiddle his thumbs while he was there. Galatians 1 also tells us that he preached in Tarsus. He preached to the people of his home city, probably speaking in synagogues again, opening up the Old Testament to unfold those passages that point to Christ, showing people that Jesus truly was the Messiah. Paul made the most of his time. And so one day, Barnabas comes knocking on Paul's door. This is the passage from Acts chapter 11 that Bob preached on two weeks ago. Remember, in response to the persecution in Jerusalem many Christians had fled that city seeking safety, but God actually used this dispersion to forward the church into new places. And one of those places the gospel landed was Antioch. Antioch was an influential city in its region, the Roman capital, between 500,000 and 800,000 people at that time. And so this is right between the size of Louisville and Indy, um, or Louisville, if you're actually from that area. And so right between the size of those two cities, Antioch was a happening place, and the number of believers there was growing quickly, and the church leaders in Jerusalem saw this, so they sent the people Barnabas to minister to them. And the church, it blew up after his arrival. It grew even more, and so Barnabas, seeing his need, went down to Tarsus, and he convinced Paul to come and join him in ministering to those people. After eight years, this was finally Paul's call to go up to the big leagues. He'd been waiting for this, And so he spent a year ministering with Barnabas there in Antioch. That included the trip to Jerusalem we heard about. And so when Paul and Barnabas returned from that trip, they joined in a time of corporate prayer and fasting, today's passage. They prayed and fasted, and at the end of that time period, they received the call from the Holy Spirit to embark on that first missionary journey to the Gentiles. So let me ask you, how many... Years do you think passed between the day that Paul was knocked off his donkey in Damascus until that day he received his call, his sending from God by the Holy Spirit to go take the good news to the Gentiles? How many years do you think that was? Most scholars put it at 14. 14 years! 14 years! That blew my mind when I read that. What strikes me most about Paul's story in this interim period is just how haphazardly his path unfolded. Look at this. People wanted to kill him for preaching the gospel, so he was forced to uproot his life and move on several occasions. He went through long stretches of waiting, years in the desert, and then back home in Tarsus. That would have been pretty boring for Paul at times. Don't get me wrong, he did some really meaningful ministry during his interim years, but Paul knew from early on that God had a special mission for him to be the one to take the good news to the Gentiles. He knew that was the ultimate mission God's had in store for him, and that is the work that we know him for 2,000 years later. Why did God take so long to give him the green light? Why did God take so long to send him off on that mission that he'd made him for? I want to tell you, I've spent a lot of time talking with family, friends, and students who are wrestling with questions like that. God, what's the specific mission you have made me for as a witness to Jesus Christ? And when Are you going to send me? Those are questions that I've wrestled with myself. Questions of discerning things like vocation, location, and priorities. How do I want to spend my time and energy? God, how can I honor you? How can I serve you with my life? I need to tell you, waiting is definitely not a strength area for me. Never once in in my life has anyone told me, Josiah, I really appreciate your patience. That has never happened, and I'd be really surprised if it ever does. I need to tell you, I'm always ready to go before I should be. When I was in high school, I was a track and field runner, and this is so embarrassing, but my favorite event was the mile run. Have you heard of a false start? When the person says, on your mark, get set, and you're so nervous you, you jump? I false started not once, but twice in the mile run. Folks, that's four laps. Who falls starts in the mile run? Someone who's ready to go before they're really ready to go. False starts in the mile run. When I was dating my wife in college, I was always eager to progress our relationship. And after a few months, I learned that when I had an idea in my mind of how I would like to see our relationship take the next step, I needed to wait two times longer than felt right to me before my wife would be anywhere close to hearing what I had to say. Thank God she was patient with me. When it comes to my desire to serve God with my life, I have felt that same way so many times. There have been times where I have just felt frustrated, waiting for clarity and direction that I might be sent on that mission that God made me for. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever been there? I sure hope I'm not alone. I have been there And I think Paul was there at times too. But as I read Paul's story, I can't help but feel that his interim years, even though they would have felt way too long for him, I really believe this period was one of the most important times of his life because it was in those years that God shaped him into the person that he would use to bring the gospel to the nations. And that took time. It took time. God does not cut corners in forming his people to serve him. Look at these stories of scripture. Do you know how many years Noah waited from the time God told him to build the ark until the flood actually occurred? Do you know how many years that was? 120 years. Who has time for that? God promised Abraham at age 75 that his own descendants would equal the number of stars in the sky. Do you know how long after that it was before Isaac was born? 25 years. 25 years. Joseph went through 13 years of servitude and imprisonment before becoming a leader of Egypt. Moses spent 40 years camping out in the desert before God called him to go rescue Israel. David waited 13 years after his anointing by Samuel before he became the king of Israel. Think about Jesus. Jesus himself, the very son of God, waited until he was 30 years old before God baptized him with the Holy Spirit, anointing him for his three-year ministry, initiating that three-year ministry period. So think about that. The Son of God lived on earth for 33 years. He ministered for three, and He waited and prepared for 30. The Son of God. God consistently uses times of waiting to prepare His servants for work of eternal purpose. That's what God was doing in Paul's interim period. Consider how God shaped him. Over those 14 years, God grew Paul's understanding of the bigness of what God had done in Jesus Christ as he spent years studying and reflecting on the gospel, letting the gospel marinate inside of him, that it would affect and impact every single area of his life and the way that he viewed the world. God also developed conviction in Paul about what mattered most in life. People wanting to kill you for preaching the good news will really make you consider how much it is worth to you. Was it, this message really worth dying for? Paul was faced with that question over and over, and through his trials, God created in Paul such a deep value of the gospel that he could say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul said it and he meant it. He knew what he was talking about. God also used Paul's interim period to form his character for his calling. You know Paul had that ultimate mission that God was sending him to the Gentiles, but the best way for him to prepare for that mission wasn't just to sit around and say, God, when are you going to send me? I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting, God. Maybe tomorrow I'm just going to rest today and wait for that. No, Paul was diligent on mission in the present, serving where God had him in the here and now, even as he waited. And God used him to share the gospel, to spread the good news in a powerful way. He ministered in his current situation. Paul made the most of his opportunities, and that made an eternal impact. It was meaningful service in and of itself, even as he waited. And so over those years, God transformed Paul into someone who would wait patiently on him and trust him to provide. Look back on Paul's story, like we talked about in Romans. Paul knew the Spirit was the founder of his faith. His faith was a work of the Spirit. And so Paul also knew that it would be the Spirit who would direct his path from there forward. It was the Spirit who initiated Paul's mission, so he waited on the Spirit to provide every step along the way. He was absolutely relying on God to show up. His his ministry was a Spirit-driven ministry. So as we look back on Paul's story, isn't it cool how we can see things from the outside? We can see what God was doing in his life, even though Paul surely would have wondered what God was up to during his interim years. We can see that God was really preparing him, that God was using him and shaping him all at the same time for his kingdom purposes. God was writing Paul's story over those 14 years, and God doesn't waste time. So let me ask you those questions again. Are you waiting for clarity on the mission God made you for? Are you waiting to be sent out in your own life? As you wait, I want you to know that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God is writing your story too, and he doesn't waste time. If you think I'm preaching this message for you, you're right, because I've got about 50 people in this room in mind right now. Will you trust that God is directing you? Will you trust that he's shaping you? Will you trust that he's able to use you for his purposes even now? Make the most of your opportunities to be a witness in the present and wait on the Spirit to bring you to the next stop at God's appointed time. God doesn't waste time. Maybe you're in the middle of your life's mission as a witness and you're feeling worn out. Look again to the grace that is in Christ Jesus to sustain you. Come to Christ with your need. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Look to his grace. It's new every morning. Let the gospel compel your ministry, no matter where you are, wherever God has called you. Maybe you're sitting here and you're feeling like your peak years in ministry are behind you. Don't let yourself off the hook so easy. This phase of life is an important one for you too. Now more than any other time in your life, you can make a difference that will extend for generations. You are rich with a life full of stories of faith, stories of God's grace at work in your life. Your stories are powerful. Your stories make an impact. So please don't be a hoarder. Don't, pass, don't keep them to yourself. You've got to pass those on. Pass on your stories wherever God has you, regardless of where you're at and living out your mission as a gospel witness. Keep the faith. Fix your eyes on Christ. God is writing your story. and He doesn't waste time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your work in Paul's life. As we look at the story of Scripture, um, the goodness of your wisdom and your power is so evident. God, you direct the paths of men. According to your perfect will. We thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are fully wise. God, we pray that you would humble us in faith, that we would look to you knowing how deeply in need we are. God, we thank you for the way that you write our stories. God, there's no wasted time in life when you're at the center of it. And so I pray for everyone who's here this morning, as we seek to live out the places that you have called us on mission as witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we might be people who wait on you, that we wait on you patiently, God, but we also would make the most of every opportunity to serve and make your name and your glory and honor known no matter where we are, God, trusting that you will continue to be with us and that you will direct us every step of the way, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.